morning, everyone. Can you please stand with us? He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break. As broken hearts declare his praise, who can stop the Lord of Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring in power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb. For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. So open up the gates. Make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring in power battles, and every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the Lord the Lord Almighty. Oh, who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring in power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was for the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before. 
Amen. Hope you're doing well this morning. Always 
Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful this morning that he is always by your side? He will never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you. And we're here this morning to magnify him and who he is. So thank you for being here. Will you take a moment and welcome those around you? Shake a hand, hug a neck, whatever you feel comfortable doing. All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church on this beautiful yet warm July 4th weekend. Right tomorrow we'll have the opportunity to celebrate our independence and our freedoms. And certainly that praise always begins uh, with praise to God for the freedoms that you and I have um, here uh, in this country, as I've said many times, you did not have a choice. I did not have a choice to be born in this country. Some of you maybe had the choice to move here, or you know people who made that choice to move here, but I did not. I didn't have the choice. It was in God's grace that I was born here, and so we want to give God the praise and the glory um, this weekend and be thankful for uh, our freedoms. And I think we best do that by gathering to worship. So thank you for being here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We would love for you to um, let us know that this is your first time. And there's a couple ways that you can do that. There's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin. There's a connection card out at the welcome desk. You can just fill out. It will not take you long. We promise we are not going to come and try to sell you anything or hound you if you're nervous and 2022 to share your information. It's secure. We just want to know who you are. And if there's a way that we can be praying for you, um, don't hesitate to ask. Well, when you gather next Sunday, everything's going to look a little bit different in here. Because in one week, right, we start VBS. So next Sunday night, we have our, our big VBS kickoff event. So next Sunday night, we'll be out in the field. We're going to have some water um, inflatables and, and all that good stuff. And so uh, that's next Sunday. So we don't have any services tonight. We don't have anything on Wednesday. There's going to be a lot of decorating going on. Um, and so we just need a couple things. One, if you've not registered yet for VBS as a volunteer, we need you to go online and register as a volunteer so that we know you're planning to volunteer. If you haven't registered as a, as a kid or as a middle schooler, Parents, please go online and register them this week. As of this morning when we checked, we have 80 kids already signed up. So we got 80 kids, so that's incredible. Uh, we'll have a lot more people hopefully this week and maybe even next week come in and register. Um, so be in prayer for VBS. 
When you came in, you should have received some Skittles. If you don't like Skittles like me, that's okay. Just pass them on to somebody else. But let it be a reminder that you are to pray for Vacation Bible School over the next two weeks. Because we do this to have fun, yes, but ultimately because it's an avenue to tell kids about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you came to faith in Jesus through a Vacation Bible School. Uh, we had a church, Royal Baptist, who gave us all of their decorations. And in fact, the church had passed those decorations on to them. And so now they've passed them on to us. They had Vacation Bible School just a couple weeks ago, and they had one kid right, give their life to Jesus. Man, one kid is worth it, right? And so even if we don't see that, we're planting seeds. And so that is, that is huge. So if you've not signed up to volunteer for Bible school, please do. If you want to know, hey, where can I help? See Miss Rachel. Um, she can tell you where you can help. And if you haven't registered your kids, please do that. Well, this morning, our praying the scripture is Psalm 86, verse 5. So let me read that for us. It should be on the screen as well. And then I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. Every Sunday when we gather, I desire that we read the scriptures, that we preach the scriptures, that we sing the scriptures, and that we pray the scripture. And so that's why we do most Sundays a time of, of praying the scripture. And so Psalm 86, 5, right, just kind of prepares our hearts for what the message is going to be about this morning. It says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So would you take a moment as the Spirit leads you, just focus upon something in that verse and just pray that verse, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue to sing together. For you, O Lord, for you, O Yahweh, are good, forgiving, and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Father, this morning we're going to focus in on one of those words. This morning as we Look at a question that Peter asks Jesus, the answer that you give to Peter, and then the story, the parable that you tell. Father, we're going to talk this morning about forgiveness. God, there may be somebody here this morning in person or online who needs your forgiveness, Father. They have never humbled themselves. They have never repented. They have never turned from their wicked ways. They have never come to you confessing their wickedness and their sinfulness. Yet your word says if we call upon you, if we come to you, we can know that forgiveness. Father, they need forgiveness this morning. Spirit of God, will you work in their heart showing them their need for a Savior and their need for forgiveness. But God, what we're also going to see this morning is the absolute necessity for a follower of Jesus Christ who has been forgiven much, that we are to be a forgiving people. And God, as we 
come into your presence, the reality is this morning that we are really good at counting and remembering the offenses and the sins of other people that are done against us. I got it right now. And this morning as we hear the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would, would show us that in Christ we are not to count those offenses, but rather we are to be a forgiving people who offer forgiveness where forgiveness is readily available and it is abundant. And God, if there is somebody here this morning in person or online who is failing to forgive, who is refusing to let go, who refuses to turn that offense over to you, and Spirit of God, will you work in their hearts today? Because as long as they hold on to it, they will remain bitter and angry and even, God, possibly in a depressed state. We confess it is not easy to forgive, but it is possible through you, Jesus Christ. So teach us, we pray, oh, how I, how we need to hear a word from you. God, we love you. We are thankful for all that you have done for us in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
Thank you, choir and Miss Heather. All right, at this time we have children's church for both of our ages, our classes, so you all can make your way out there. Everyone else, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. You see in the parable last week, and then we're going to see in the parable this morning, that there's a couple things that are really hard for us, really difficult for us to, I guess, accept and, and come to the realization. We saw last week that one of the things that are, it's really hard for us as human beings to accept is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. You remember um, the, the, the sinners, the tax collectors are coming to Jesus and there's this religious group of people standing back just mocking and, and questioning why Jesus would accept them. And, and, they, and Jesus has to deal with that his entire earthly ministry. There's a lot of people this morning that have never given their life to Jesus because they don't think they need Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I can save myself. And, and so the realization to come to the point where you and I can acknowledge and confess that we are wretched, wicked, broken, rebellious sinners who need a Savior, otherwise we go to hell, is really hard. Right? Unless you repent, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there has to be a repentance, an acknowledgement that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. The other thing that is difficult for us that we're going to see in the parable this morning is that we have been forgiven much and therefore are required to forgive others. It is not easy to forgive when somebody offends us, wrongs us, hurts us, sins against us. It's never easy to forgive no matter how small or major that offense may be, forgiveness does not come natural to fallen, sinful people. But we will see, through the grace of God, not only can we acknowledge our need for a Savior, but that Savior forgives us greatly, who then transforms us so that we can become a forgiving people. So the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be in verses 21 through 35, but I'm just going to read the first two verses for us because it sets the context. We see a question and answer of Jesus and then the parable. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the Lord. Then Peter came up and said to him, that's to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You may be seated. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, the question. There's a question. Peter comes up and asks Jesus a question. Now listen, Peter often is the spokesman for the group. Um, Peter probably wasn't the only one thinking about this question. Others probably were thinking about it. Maybe they were talking about it, and they elect Peter to ask the question. So Peter asked the question. The question is simple, straightforward. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, what prompts this question? Well, it could be a couple things. It could be that Jesus, and we're aware of this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches on the Lord's Prayer. 
And what is one of the things that Jesus teaches his disciples? Forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors. So he knows, right, we are to pray to God, forgive us, and that we then are to extend that forgiveness. And so maybe Peter, thinking about this, what does that look like? How many times do I have to forgive? The other thing that could be um, going on in Peter is the previous text. Maybe Jesus had just taught this. And in the previous verses, right, Jesus is dealing with what we call church discipline. What does it look like? What are the rules for restoring a sinful brother? And so you see in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, what happens when your brother sins against you? And so Peter, maybe thinking through some of this stuff, wants to know how many times do I have to forgive? And so he asked the question, but notice what Peter does. Typically, if you ask someone a question, you stop and wait for the answer. Is that what Peter does? No. He asks the question, and then he gives an answer. Like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone if they sin against me? Hey, I know how about seven times. Now, that number seven, right, is the number of completion as we think about it in the Bible. You, you go back to the beginning Creation, right? God creates in six days, and on the seventh day, He what? He rests. So, even in our creation, our week to week, there's seven days. Seven is a number of completion. But the number seven also could be significant in, and if you read the book of Amos, you'll see this. He talks about for three transgressions that are forgiven, and in the fourth, the judgment of God comes. And so, rabbis, Jewish tradition taught that you forgive three times. And then the fourth time, no more. You're done. And so, right, if, if that's what they've been taught, then when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times am I to forgive a sinful brother? And he gives the number seven, Peter's being generous. He's more than doubled the taught expected answer. Seven times is a generous amount. Now, here's the question. What is Peter really asking? Here's what he really wants to know. Is there a limit to forgiveness? Is there a place, a point, a moment when you can say, I've forgiven enough, I'm done? Is there a limit? Can we count to a certain number of offenses? Now, just a quick observation. This parable, this is just for you and I and our benefit. This parable is sandwiched in between two really important teachings of Jesus. One, how do we restore a sinning brother in the church and then what comes next is Jesus teaching on divorce. If you have been in the church long enough, you know that at some point, intentionally or unintentionally, a brother or a sister is going to offend you, wrong you, sin against you. And if you have been married for half a day, you know that at some point, your spouse is going to intentionally or unintentionally sin against you, offend you, hurt you, wrong you. You cannot have relationships in the church or a marriage that works and thrives if it is not built upon grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so this teaching, this parable is sandwiched in between these two major relationships. And so Peter wants to know, is there a limit to forgiveness? How about seven? 
Now go ahead, Jesus, you can speak. So what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. No, Peter, not seven times. But the ESV translates this phrase 77 times. Your translation may say 70 times 70 or 490. Now you say, wait a minute, there's a disagreement here. I listened to Dr. Moeller earlier in the week as he was preaching this, and he said, and he's a pretty smart man, that this Greek statement here is like one of the hardest idiomatic statements in the New Testament to translate from Greek to English. Because it can mean either. The Greek can mean 77 times or 70 times 7, which would be 490. And so my encouragement to you is don't get caught up in that. Because either way, the point is still the same. When Peter says, how about seven times, and Jesus responds, right, what is Jesus really saying? Jesus' point is this, Peter, forgiveness is not to be limited. You can't limit it. You're wanting to count to seven, and you think that's generous, but you can count to seven. You can remember seven sins or seven offenses. going to be a lot harder to keep track of 77 or 490. See, the point of Jesus is, Peter, you're trying to limit it. You can't limit it. Now, let's be honest. We are really good at counting offenses. We are really good at keeping track of the number of times someone has hurt us or wronged us. Some of you maybe actually even write it down in a little book. Or you keep track in your mind. You don't forget. Peter wanted a limit. Peter wanted a number. I want to keep track, Jesus. I'm willing to be gracious seven times, but I want to know. But Jesus says, no, Peter, that's not how it works. Forgiveness is not to be limited. Rather, forgiveness is to be available, always, and abundant. And you're giving it. You cannot limit it. I heard Dr. Moeller say this week when I was listening to the sermon, and man, it hit me. We are really good at forgetting what we should count and counting what we should forget. We are to forget the sins and the wrongs that other people do against us, yet we're really good at counting them. Man, I remember when my wife said this, when my kid did this, when when my boss did this, we keep track of them. And yet what we should be counting, the blessings of God... Right? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Sometimes we forget to count that which we should be keeping track of. Now, just a couple thoughts on forgiveness before we go on to the parable. First thing, forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. This is important. You can't forget. When somebody hurts you physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally, when they just cut you off in traffic, you don't forget that. You remember it. Your brain remembers these things. Some of you have seen things in your life, whether it's through war or just your childhood, as hard and as much as you want to, you can't forget it. And when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about forgetting. God knows everything. So when it talks about God forgets your sin, it doesn't mean God just woke up with, oh my goodness, I just can't remember. It's not what it means. So when we talk about forgiveness, we don't mean you're forgetting. Forgiveness also doesn't mean you excuse the sin or wrong. 
When it comes to your sin against God, when God forgives you, God's not saying, ah, not a big deal, don't worry about it, just sweep it under the rug. When somebody sins against you, I'm not saying you look at them and say, oh, that wasn't a sin, that wasn't a big deal. Because if they hurt you and wronged you, it is a big deal. If they sin against God, that's a huge deal. So that's not forgiveness either. So what then is forgiveness? Forgiveness means you don't hold the wrong against them. You don't hold a grudge. And this is what it means when God forgives us in Christ. It means right now, your sins have been forgiven through Jesus, which means God is not holding them over your head. You're not going to have to answer for them. You're not going to be judged for them because Christ has already paid for those sins. He dealt with them in Christ. Now listen, refusing to forgive leads to bitterness, resentment, anger, depression, right? We won't let go of the wrong. We're keeping hold of it. So listen to this. I read this this week. I don't remember where I read it. Forgiveness releases the other person from me. Forgiveness releases the other person from me. What you do is you are turning it over to God and you are saying to God, God, I'm no longer the judge here. I'm no longer the one ruling on my throne, holding this against them. I'm turning it over to you. Now look, this is how it works practically. There are times somebody will sin against you and that person will come to you the same day, a week later, a year later. They will come to you and they will say, listen, I hurt you. I wronged you. I take ownership of that. Will you forgive me? In that moment, as a follower of Christ, you say, yes, I will forgive you. I will no longer hold this over you. I've given this to God. It will not hold on to me and control my life. I'm giving it to God. But hear me. Sometimes, though it's hard, that's easier than the other scenario. Because when somebody comes and says, hey, will you forgive me? Or you go and say, will you forgive me? That relationship is reconciled. You can begin to work on it. It may not be the same. Trust has been broken, but you can work on it. But here's the other occasion where it gets a lot harder. When somebody hurts you, sins against you, and refuses to acknowledge it. Doesn't care. Never comes and says, I'm sorry. Doesn't care if they destroyed the relationship. They've hurt you, and they're doing nothing about it. What do you do in that moment? Do you still hold it against them? Absolutely not. You forgive them. Listen, that relationship can never be restored if they're not willing to work on it. But what you're doing is you're going to God, and you're saying, God, I'm angry. This person may never come and make this right, but I'm turning this over to you. You are the judge. Vengeance belongs to you. It's not mine to hold this over them. I will forgive them. They will not continue to destroy my life. I'm not going to let that happen. Is it going to be easy? Nope. But you're giving it to God. And you're willing to forgive them and not hold it over them. And so forgiveness, this type of forgiveness is to be abundant and available. So I've been preaching now for about 12 minutes. and We haven't even got to the parable yet. So let's get to the parable. So Jesus, after answering Peter's question, again, is there a limit to my forgiveness? Jesus says, nope, there's no limit. And he goes way above Peter's number. Then he begins to tell a parable. Look what he says. And we'll go through this kind of quickly. Therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Right, this is a parable. He's going to tell us an earthly story that we can understand, we can relate to. But he's saying this story is going to point to a heavenly meaning, a bigger purpose the kingdom of God, and to have a kingdom means you got to have a king and a people who follow the king. 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a what? Maybe compared to a king. All right, we got it. We got a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, so it's judgment day. It's time to settle these accounts. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, again, there's a lot of disagreement on how much is 10,000 talents. Again, we're trying to go from a different language, different currency, into our understanding. So 10,000 talents, here's what you need to know, was an astronomical, insurmountable amount of debt. So the ESV footnote in my Bible says a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So one talent is 20 years of work. And he owed how many talents? 10,000. You do the math. I've seen some people say it's millions of dollars. I've seen some people say it's billions of dollars. The point, he owed a whole lot of money that he could never pay. All right, so owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master, the king, ordered him to be sold. So what's the master going to do? You can't pay me, so I'm going to get whatever I can get. So I'm going to sell you, your wife, your children, all that you had, and I'm going to get that money. Not anywhere close to 10,000 talents, but at least I'm getting something. So what does the servant do? What all of us would probably do. Fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. That's a bold statement, because there's no way he could have paid everything. If one talent was 20 years, he's not going to live that long. But he said, I'll pay everything. Now watch this. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. All this money, let's just say it's a billion dollars, just for a number. A billion dollars. We're just going to erase it. Gone. It's not over you any longer. You don't have to worry about it. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, now, what I would expect to read next is when that same servant went out, man, he went out rejoicing with gratitude because a billion dollars was just forgiven his name. Mm -mm, not what he says. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He said, oh man, here's some more numbers. What's a hundred denarii? Well, a denarius was a day's wage for laborers. So one day you would make about a, a, a denarius. So he owed a hundred of them. So that's about a fourth to a third of a year of working that he, that he could pay if he took on an extra job, right, to bring in extra money, he could pay off his debt in three to four months. But he goes out and he finds this person who owed a hundred denarii, and it says he seized him and began to choke him, like, I'm going to kill you if you do not pay what you owe. So I was thinking about this week, man, like, denarii and talents and like I don't really get all that and so what would it look like in in my situation what could this look like and so here's what I came up with this may be ridiculous but this is just what I thought of so say you get behind on your mortgage payment you're months behind and you know man we're, we're struggling we can't catch up the mortgage company calls out to you reaches out to you and says hey look man you're a you're a year behind on your payments six months behind on your payments we're going to foreclose on your house and you're just begging can you please let me talk to the president somebody who who will help me and so they get you up with the president and the president is just feeling extra gracious extra froggy and he just says hey i'm going to forgive you your debt let's say you owe three hundred thousand dollars on your mortgage he says i'm just going to it's gone 
So listen, you've just saved a monthly payment every month because your mortgage is gone. Man, I would love for that to happen. Maybe you should call your, bank, uh, your loan company tomorrow and see if they'll do that. Let me know. Right, you, um, your, your payment's gone. You've just saved all this money on interest. You just saved 300,000 plus with the interest and now you have equity. If you wanted in this market, you could turn around and sell your home and maybe get it for $400,000, $450,000 and make even more money. Now imagine, you get off the phone and instead of rejoicing, you go into work and you find that guy that a year ago, you loaned $10 so he could get a Big Mac, fries, and a sweet tea. And you go ballistic on him. Like, it has been a year, where's my $10? Like, you just start physically assaulting him. You know what I would say to you? You have lost your ever-loving mind. You just were forgiven $300,000, and you're worried about 10 bucks for a Big Mac fries and a sweet tea, and I don't even know if $10 will cover that anymore, but you've lost your mind. That's just an example. Like, this is, this is pennies compared to what this man had been forgiven, and yet he loses his mind. So his fellow servant, verse 29, fell down and pleaded with him. He does the same thing the first dude did. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison. Now, I don't know how you can pay off debt from prison. Never been in prison, but that'd be pretty hard to do. But he put him in prison until what? Until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, I assume they had witnessed both, both conversations. When they saw what took place, they were greatly distressed, as we all would be. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. So this is the king speaking again to the first servant. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? This king showed the first servant mercy. Mercy has often been defined as God not giving us what we deserve. So what did this servant deserve? What he deserved because he took out debt, whether he stole it, however he got it, he has debt, he can't pay it back. What he deserved was to be thrown in prison, to, so, to be sold, like he had failed to repay what he said he was going to repay. He did not deserve anything other than prison. So the king doesn't give the man what he deserves. But then the king goes even further and extends grace to him. And it has been said, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. The last thing this man deserved was for the king to say, okay, all your debt is erased. That goes beyond mercy. So now he's showing him grace. And this servant then leaves, having not been changed by the grace and mercy of this man, but he goes and leaves and demands another servant pay him. And verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Let me talk about three things as we close this morning. Three things I think we learned from this parable. Notice verse 35 because this is the connection. This is what we are to learn from the parable. So also my, Jesus says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Three things that we learn from this parable. Number one is there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. How can you forgive the way that Jesus tells us to forgive? Because God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. In the parable, the king erases the man's debt. Newsflash, 
You're not the king in this story. God's the king. You're the servant with the insurmountable debt. And you go before the king. You stand before God with all of your sins piled up. So tall, you can't go over them. So wide, you can't go around them. So deep, you cannot go under them. You have before God, sinner, an enormous debt that you cannot repay. It is insurmountable. It is astronomical. So what do you do when you stand before the Father and you have all of this debt against yourself? Well, there's only one thing you can do. That is to fall on your knees to recognize the severity of your sin, the magnitude of your debt, and you come to the Father with empty hands pleading that he would show you grace and mercy. That's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do with this insurmountable debt. No deeds, no works can pay off an insurmountable, astronomical sin debt that is on your account against God. And when you do that, when you do what is so hard for so many people to do, recognize you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior, when you come to the Father and you plead for grace and mercy, what do you find? You will find a God who is rich in mercy, who is able and will forgive our sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. Just as the king let go of the sin, the debt of this man forgave it, so too our Father forgives our debt. Now, there's an important distinction. And when Jesus tells parables, he cannot share every part of the gospel in a story, or that story would be really, really long. Parables are meant to be short. So there is a difference between the king and God when it comes to the gospel. Because what happens in this parable is the king just wipes clean the servant's debt. It's just gone. Wipe clean. But we know from the gospel, God doesn't just wipe your sin away. Like, no big deal. It's clean. How is your sin paid for according to the gospel? It's through Jesus Christ. Because in this story, the man sins... The man's, that was just forgiven. Nobody else stepped in to pay his debt. But in the gospel, that's exactly what Jesus does. God the Father sends the Son, Jesus Christ, who steps in your place, my place, dies upon the cross, sheds his blood to cover my sins so that my debt can be paid and my sins forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus says on the cross to Telestai, paid in full, it is finished. So before God the Father this morning, your sins that were insurmountable, that you can never pay for, has been paid for because Jesus Christ died in your place. Amen? That's the good news, the great news of the gospel, that your sins can be forgiven, but it is only through Jesus. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. That's our hope. There's a second thing I want you to see from this parable, and that is this. And this is a long point, so I'll give you time to write it down. It'll stay on the screen for a minute. A right relationship with God the Father which comes only through Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize that. You're made right with God only through Jesus. 
is expressed with mercy and forgiveness toward those who offend and sin against us. Look what, look what Jesus says as he wraps up this parable. Verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, just as the king threw the wicked servant into prison, he'll do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now when you read that, you can say, okay, there's obviously a connection here between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. What's the connection? Is the connection that your forgiveness from God the Father is dependent upon your willingness to go forgive other people? And the answer is no. Because if God's forgiveness of us is based upon our forgiving others, then that's a works-based salvation. And the Bible is clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our doing, not of our works. So that's not the connection. The connection is not you go and be forgiving, and when you stand before God, he's going to recognize that and say, man, you are such a forgiving person. Come on into the kingdom. That's not the connection. So what is the connection? I believe the connection is this, that those who have been forgiven much will show much forgiveness to others. And if you have not become a forgiving person, there's no evidence of forgiveness in you, then maybe you have never experienced the forgiveness of God the Father. Because this man, and having been forgiven this debt, should have been changed to go out and say, man, now who can I forgive? Who can I bless? Who can I let their debt go? And he does the exact opposite. And so for many of us, we may claim the name of Jesus, but there is no evidence within our hearts of Jesus actually saving and changing us. Hear me. Forgiven people forgive. You don't have a choice, brothers and sisters. I don't have a choice. It's not my right to look at Curtis and say, sorry, brother, I can't forgive you. When I came to Christ, those rights died because Christ now rules in me. Listen, I know some of you have been hurt bad. You have been wronged and you are angry and you're, you become bitter. I'm not saying it's easy to forgive, but I am telling you, you don't have a choice. You got to forgive because you have been forgiven far more than the forgiveness you would have to extend. Hear me. The citizens of the kingdom of God look different than the citizens of the world. He says the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the citizens of God. The kingdom. What does it look like to be part of the kingdom? And the reality is the citizens of the kingdom of God look very different than the citizens of the world. The citizens of God's kingdom are to be clothed in humility and forgiveness. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce writes. He said, It is by standing before the thrice holy God and thus seeing ourselves as the vile sinners we are, vile and yet forgiven through the death of God's own beloved Son, that awareness should humble us so that we have simply no other option but to be forgiving to others from our heart. So I'm going to say this one statement before we move to the last point, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me from my heart. It is the height of arrogance to enter into the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ and to thank Him for forgiving our sins and then yet refuse to grant forgiveness to other people who have wronged us. Just like we would say, 
has this dude lost his ever-loving mind to be forgiven all this debt and then go practically kill somebody over something that doesn't even compare? It is the height of arrogance to say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me all of my debt. But you know, my wife has sinned against me multiple times and I'm not going to forgive her. In fact, I'm out to get her. I will not forgive my children. I will not forgive my parents for how they hurt me. I will not forgive my boss. I will not forgive my neighbor. I will never forgive my brother in Christ who said that to me. That's the height of arrogance. And if that is you, hear me. Will you just seek the face of God this morning and let the Spirit of God convict you? Listen, you all know I'm hard on myself. There's a lot of sins I struggle with. By the grace of God, forgiving people hasn't really been one. I I can think of one time where I struggled, but thankfully God brought me through that and I was able to let go of that. So I'm standing here and, and this is easier for me than other things, but for you, maybe this is hitting you right between the eyes. Listen, there's forgiveness, there's help, seek help, seek the face of God and seek his forgiveness. But then thirdly, this leads to the last point I wanna make, and this one's heavy, so please listen. And that is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. How does he begin the parable? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and hang on with me for just a few more minutes because this is important. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And what does this king do? He wishes to settle his accounts. This king is about to judge. And it says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who is about to judge. Why? Because our God, the king, sits on a throne as the judge. Our God is judge. Listen, this will be on the screen. The God who forgives so extravagantly, anybody want to deny the forgiveness of this judge, this king who was willing to forgive 10,000 talents of debt, the king who forgives so extravagantly is the same God, the same king who also judges severely. It's not a different king. The same king who was willing to say, I forgive you, now stands as a judge over the same guy and throws him in prison. And what does it say? And in anger, verse 34, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. You know how long that dude was going to be in jail? For the rest of his life. Because there's no way he was paying that kind of debt. Hell lasts for eternity because forever is how long it will take you to repay God. Brothers and sisters, God's judgment hangs over everyone who has not experienced God's forgiveness through Christ. Hear my heart. Hear the gospel. You have a choice. You can confess your sins and fall before God this morning and say, God, will you save me and rescue me and save me? Jesus, I'm pleading your blood to cover my sins. In an instant, millions of your sins for all eternity can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Or, or you can say, I don't need God. I'm not that bad of a person. And one day, one day, when judgment comes to you, when you stand before God after you die or at the, the final day of judgment, you will not be able to stand pleading the blood of Jesus. No, you will experience the judgment of that God. 
And you know how long it's going to take you to pay for your sins? Eternity, forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. Where the fire is not quenched, where the worm dieth not, where you were cut off from the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Why do you want to take that chance? I don't care how good of a person you think you are. Why are you going to take that chance? When right now Jesus offers you forgiveness and all you got to do is recognize, I need forgiveness. God forgive me, a wretched sinner. And yet how many people do you know in your life who simply refuse to come to receive the forgiveness that our King offers because they do not want to acknowledge they need it to begin with? I want to be my own God. I want to live my life how I want to live it. You're free to do that. But just know, judgment day is coming. Because our God is compared to a king who chose to settle his accounts. Every one of us, God's going to settle those accounts on judgment day. And either you will pay for it, or by the mercy and grace of God, you will declare what we're about to sing. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? This morning, there's really two things that every single one of us need to, to reckon with this morning. And I know this message has been a weighty one. It's, it's heavy. It's hard. It's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to live out. But it's two things. So before we sing Jesus paid it all, I'm going to give you a moment right where you are to reconcile, to think through these things. Number one is this. Have you experienced the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins? If you have, then this morning, your sins have been paid for, all of them. Every sin you ever committed, you have right now commit or you will commit, have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Rejoice in that. If you're sinning against God, you've not confessed that sin, run to him. Confess that sin to him and know that Jesus, his blood will cover it. There is hope and forgiveness. And if you've done that, praise the Lord. If you have not, and then will you just give your life to Jesus this morning? Just come see me as we sing this song and say, Pastor, I want to know more about what it looks like to give my life to Jesus, to be saved from hell and from my sin, from death. Will you talk with me more about what that looks like? And then here's the second thing that we all have to reckon with this morning. Between you and God, is there anyone that you have not forgiven? You're holding a grudge you won't let it go. Whether they have sought that forgiveness or not, is there anyone that you are refusing to forgive? Or is there anyone that you have sinned against that you need to go to, whether they are aware of it or not, to humble yourself and say, I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And can this relationship be restored? And can we work on reconciliation? Father God, what you ask us to do in your word, what I'm asking your people to do this morning is impossible apart from Jesus. But it is possible to the living Savior who lives and reigns in us. And Jesus, you will not ask us to do anything that you, not, that you do not empower and enable us to do. And this is what the people of God look like. We are forgiving people, not forgetting, 
not excusing or sweeping it under the rug or downplaying sin. It's not what we're doing. We're showing grace. We're showing mercy. We're offering forgiveness. And God, we're giving it to you. God, would you heal this morning? Heal the person who has been broken, who has been forever changed because somebody took advantage of them, because somebody hurt them, because somebody walked out on them, because somebody damaged them in a multitude of ways. God, they didn't deserve that. And right now they need your healing and your grace. Spirit of God, move in their life, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to simply sing these words. Jesus paid it all. I'm at the front. The altar's open. If you need to talk to me or if you need to come and pray. Oh, praise the one who 
Amen, amen. You may be seated for a few minutes. So I want to share something I'm super excited about. So come on, you got to come up here with me. So this is, this is my girl. This is, this is, well, she's not really my girl. This is, she's not my daughter, but she's my girl in Christ, right? Now she is. So this is Sydney Blackstock. Sydney, if you know Sydney, she's like me, quiet. You're an introvert. And so I think that's why my heart has always been drawn to her at camp. Uh, we were cornhole buddies. We played some cornhole together and tried to beat some of the guys. We lost, but it's okay. It was a valiant effort. But Sydney just came forward with her mama, and, and I didn't know why she was coming. I, I was hoping that's why she was coming, and I got tears in my eyes. So not only did she go to Snowbird, but then she spent two weeks at Windshape Camp, and while at Windshape, she gave her life to Jesus. And so, uh, so man, that is rejoicing. We talked last week about when somebody who is lost is saved, the rejoicing that takes place in heaven. And so there's rejoicing in heaven today. And uh, it, it's hard. It's not easy to come forward up here, standing in front of all these people. And so she is willing. She's saying, hey, I made that profession of faith. She's going to follow him in baptism. And so will you just rejoice with her one more time and letting her know how proud you are of her? All right. You can sit back down there. So that was Mama, Karen, that, that walked up here, and then Dad's back there, Scott's back there, and Sister as well. And so exciting day uh, for them, and so we praise God uh, for that. So before you leave, if you'll just come by um, and just let her know how excited you are uh, for her. And uh, anytime somebody comes forward, whether it's a child or an adult, right, now it falls on us as the body of Christ, the disciple to come alongside the parents who are the ultimate disciple makers, but to come alongside of them and to pour into them and encourage them. And so, um, man, what a, what a great day. Um, praise God for his grace and saving, uh, saving us as, as sinners. All right, just some announcements uh, quickly. Our finance team, uh, we have an in-person meeting on Thursday. If you are a ministry leader and you were given a budget to fill out, please, today or tomorrow, quickly fill out that budget request and return it so we can discuss that. Um, VBS, we already talked about that. Church directory, July 17th. Um, read that announcement. If you're interested in sewing library, ba library bags, see Debbie or Pat on that. You can register for Upward Soccer, um, Rockridge Camp, all, all kinds of stuff in there. NBC's Got Talent. You guys know that every year Tim um, and Janie play an important role in NBC's Got Talent. Unfortunately, because of Janie's health, they're not going to be able to do that this year. This week on Tuesday, Janie gets her really high dose of chemo. That basically is going to wipe out her immune system. And then after that, she goes through 21 intense days of the stem cell replacement. So please, over the next three weeks, lift up Janie and Tim in your prayers every day. But we're still going to do the NBC's Got Talent. He's working a little bit on some of the dramas with some of the students. But Curtis is going to be heading that up. So if you're interested in singing, here's what we need you to do. Write your name on a piece of paper. 
and what you're going to do and then give it to Curtis. Because if you tell Curtis or myself, we're going to forget in five seconds, right, brother? Amen. So just write it down so he knows that you're going to participate. You're welcome to do that. Um, one other thing, the Families for Families, if you are interested in foster, um, we're having our information meeting on July 25th at 630. If you are interested at all, you're not committing if you come. But if it's anywhere on your radar, this is the first required step and we're doing it here at the church. You don't have to drive very far. So just come. Again, you're not committing to anything. It's just a first step if you are interested in doing that. All right, I think I've made all the announcements. Mr. Paul is the deacon of the week, so he's going to come and close us in a word of prayer. Make sure you come by and love on Sydney um, before you leave. So if you'll stand, let's be dismissed with prayer. That sermon uh, reminded me of a Nelson Mandela quote on holding grudges. He says, Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. And uh, the other person may have no idea that, that you've offended them or they've offended you, and, and you're just eating yourself up with angst. But let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all the comforts you've given us uh, as we celebrate a, another year and uh, anniversary in this country. All the comforts and, uh, and material things and, and uh, blessings you've given us in this country but above all we just thank you so much for your forgiveness and we just pray that uh, yeah, we could just forgive others as you have forgiven us our great sins in Jesus holy name we pray amen